This is Kincaid and Breckenridge, exclusively on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Hey, welcome back. I'm Roger. That's Rob. Uh, you're going to talk about this story. This is t- uh, particularly controversial. It was it was a controversial story when it wasn't even happening in Canada. I'm talking about Carla Hamalka, uh, who now goes by the name of Leanne Teal. And uh, Leanne Teal. Or apparently Leanne Bordelais. Oh, is that it? Bordelais? Because it was, yeah, it was Teal. Well, now, we, yeah. one of the stories today suggests that now it's Leanne Bordelais that she's going by. Well, how would we confirm this, though? Because we would require her to step up and say, it's me, this is my name, and this is where I live. And I don't think she's going to do that. I think she's trying to... I, I'd be surprised if she has blonde hair, to be quite frank. Well, yeah, I don't know. No one has any pictures of her here living in, in, uh, in Quebec now, in uh, the, the neighborhood of uh, Chateau Gay. Uh, apparently, CTV Montreal was was uh, following up on this story, and and they were going door to door in this area to to inform people that Carla Homolka was living in the neighborhood, and then to to I guess get their reaction. So this is now blown up. Uh, this is being covered all over the place. The Montreal Gazette has a big write up on it today. It was on the front page of the Toronto uh, Sun today with uh, a column saying that uh, people in this community are right to be worried a right to be concerned, and now the school board, now the, this is part of why it came up, is that the, the uh, school board felt as though they had to address this, but it just raises more questions and answers. A letter went to families yesterday saying that our community is dealing with a difficult situation. Many of you have questions and concerns. Please be assured your children are safe when they are at school. It's been confirmed that several parents in our community were approached by a reporter going door-to-door this past Sunday asking if people knew that Carla Homolka was living in the area. School board officials have brought this information to the Chateau Gay Police. We're taking this very seriously and collaborating with us. As you know, under Quebec law, all children have a right to privacy and an obligation to be in school. This is why I cannot comment any further or provide any personal information about any family. But then going on to reassure parents that children are safe. Obviously, anybody volunteering at the school needs to go through a criminal background check. Uh, But essentially, that's as much as they can say at this point. Now, with parents now worried about keeping their kids in this school, threatening to pull out of this school, I don't know that that can be the last word on the matter. Indeed. Uh, you know, it's, it's like I said, right? I mean, this made news um, back in 2012 when a, a journalist named Paula Todd uh, was able to track down Carla Homolka and... This was a nationwide story. After seven years living in seclusion, notorious killer Carla Homolka has been found by a Canadian journalist and is living what appears to be a normal life in the Caribbean. So she's living in, in, in Guadalupe, sunning herself and with her family, which was the even more shocking part of the story. She's now a mother of three living on the island of Guadalupe under an assumed name. She's married to the brother of her former lawyer. Hamolka's former husband, Paul Bernardo, was sentenced to life in prison, but Hamolka struck a deal and was released in 2005. Journalist Paula Todd tracked her down and says she spent a tense hour in Hamolka's home. So that's weird, first of all, that she hooked up with her lawyer's brother. I don't <clears throat> not need to know the details of that story. But she's a mother of three, mm-hmm. and she was living in, in Guadalupe, uh, sunning it up in the Caribbean. Um, and that outraged a lot of Canadians. 
Uh, but there's something uncomfortable here, Rob, that, that people like you and I have to contend with is that she made a deal with the crown and that deal was she'd go to jail. She'd plead guilty to manslaughter and her testimony would be used to make sure that Paul Bernardo never gets to set his bare feet in green grass again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the deal that we made with her. So based on that bargain and the fact that she has served that sentence, do we owe her anything? Do we owe her some anonymity? Yeah, it was 12 years she did in prison, right? Which I suppose in a Canadian context is a significant amount of time behind bars. And she did serve that time. And that was the deal we made with her. So it's, look, as someone you know texted to say, uh, I wouldn't want Carla Homolka as my next door neighbor, but she's done her time and deserves her freedom and no one can do anything about that. Well, that's true, right? We can't just grab her and throw her in jail. But if people in a neighborhood decide, you know what, do we really want her living here? There's nothing stopping them from, you know, picketing her house if they want and, and calling attention and saying an awful person lives in this house. And maybe she just feels as though she's not welcome and goes to, to live in another neighborhood. And it, it does you know, it becomes a case of nimbyism. That, okay, fine. She's entitled to live somewhere, but just not in my neighborhood. She can go live in some other neighborhood. Yeah. I, I don't mind her being free just as long as she's not free around me is what a lot of people are saying. I, I wonder, though, the, there's questions about her safety too, right? I mean, and, and that of her three kids and her husband. Um, it's certainly one thing to say, like, I don't want her in my neighborhood and I would make her feel uncomfortable here. But people will take that to varying degrees. And so, you know, as you point out, Rob, I mean, people could sort of pick at her house or point out that a, a terrible person lives there. That's one thing. But uh, it's been said in St. Catharines that if she ever showed her face around there, uh, she wouldn't have that face for much longer. And at least she's not doing that. At least she's not moving back to the community that she destroyed by uh, torturing and murdering uh, Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. You know, here's the thing. and I mean, Michelle Mandel in the uh, Toronto Sun. Right. And, and she, um, her, her opening sentence here, imagine you've allowed your child to go over to their friend's house after school, unaware the kid's mom is a notorious serial killer. I, I guess it's possible that if Carla Homolka lives in your neighborhood, you don't know that that's who it is. She's got kids. Your kids are the same age. Maybe they would be friends. But then she goes further. She says maybe she's a chaperone for the basketball team or a volunteer at lunch. Now, hang on a second yeah. here. I, I don't think that would happen. I mean, the school has made it pretty clear that, look, for, for volunteers, you need to go through a criminal background check. There's no way on earth that Carla Homolka or Leanne Teal or Leanne Bordelais or whatever she's going by is going to just skate through all of that and, and you know, be uh, escorting kids on, on field trips. Just, and it's not going to happen. But, yeah, I, I suppose it's, it's possible that someone like that could live in, in a neighborhood and her kids are out playing with other kids and maybe the parents don't know. And I can understand how shocked a parent would be to to learn that after the fact that your kids are overplaying at someone's house. And then you learn after the fact, holy crap, that's that's Carla Homolka. Let's uh, want to hear from you. Now, there's a couple of different ways we're going to talk about this. Uh, 974-8255. Obviously, we want to hear your phone calls. Uh, you're texting already at 77770. Uh, but you can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Newstalk770Calgary. There's a piece up on our website, Newstalk770.com. You can read that and then comment. The conversation is happening uh, on our Facebook page uh, right now. Uh, before we go to break here and before we hear from some of the concerned parents at the school in the in the community that uh, Carla Homolka lives in now. Let's uh, let's hear from Aziz. Hi, Aziz. Go ahead. Hey guys, this is a deep subject. Yeah, man. Uh, 
I, I feel like, honestly, I feel like you guys are flip-flopping because I remember we, we had a, a segment on uh, pedophiles and uh, outing sexual predators and uh, Johns and stuff, and you guys were in favor for that. Are you telling me you guys are in favor to keep her anonymity? Wait, wait, wait. Hang, hang on a second. What are we in favor of, outing sexual predators or Johns? Uh, yeah, I think both. I don't remember that. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that. I don't even remember the, the story that you're, you're referring to. I listen to you guys too much. I have no life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad of that. But uh, I, I just think I, I draw a, a pretty significant difference, though, between a pedophile and somebody who who, who purchases uh, sex acts from a no, uh, like, sex yeah, worker. I mean, one example is these, and it happens often where someone's about to get released from jail, and police know there's nothing more we can do. This person has served a sentence, but along the way, you know, the person refused to get treatment, and if police believe that that inmate is still a potential danger to the public, they'll identify them. They'll release that person's name and photo and say, you know, the public should be concerned. This person's getting out of jail. We believe that this person is still a threat. Here's his name. Here's his image. Uh, that happens frequently. Yeah, so what, what about a serial killer that probably tortured their victims? Yeah, see, Carla Homolka is an interesting case because she did make a plea deal that secured the, the conviction of, of Paul Bernardo. At least that's what we were told at the time. Now, I think that Canadians have a right to know who the person is. I don't think that Carla Homolka, who went to jail for the murder of two young girls and uh, I guess her sister as well, uh, I think people should be prepared by, by knowing who that person is so that they know how to handle themselves with that type of person living in their neighborhood. I, I don't think that um, uh, it's right to keep that a secret from people. So should Carla Homolka have her anonymity? I don't think I don't agree with that, but I think that um, there's an argument to be made that she should have her freedom. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I don't know what your guys is presenting, but it feels like if you're presenting that she should keep her anonymity, I think that's a flip-flop on your guys, but... Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe she does deserve it because she served her time. But at the same time, do we extend that to other people and doing other crimes and stuff like that? We, I don't we, think so. No, we do. We, we, when people serve their crimes, they get out of jail. We, we say you're free to go. You've, you've served your sentence. The court decided this is how long you'll be incarcerated for, and these are the conditions of your release. Once they're met, you're free to go. But what do you mean by anonymity? Is that we shouldn't talk about her, or she should be allowed to change be her anonymous. name? Well, I mean, I, I don't know that anyone's entitled to anonymity. If if she's legally allowed to change her name, and I don't know what the rules are for uh, former convicted criminals, if they're just allowed to change their name or they have to go through a special process, these decisions have been made. So that that's fine. I guess if she's entitled to change her name, she can go ahead and change her name. But if someone wants to report on the fact that, well, this person now known as Leanne whatever used to be Carla Homolka, I don't believe that that information should be censored. Oh, then, then I think you guys are consistent. Okay. Just, uh, in the beginning, I, I honestly felt like, you know, you guys were, you know, covering for this lady, you know, and mm. uh, and, and, and uh, by saying that she needs to be anonymous. But I don't think Well, if we thought that, anonymous. Aziz, I guess we wouldn't be talking yeah. about it at all, would we? No, I guess you guys are right. Maybe I should listen <laughs> to more of you guys before I jump in, huh? Oh, no, it's good, no, Aziz. I'm glad you did. Yeah, we're glad you called. Okay, okay. Hey, we're going right. to leave it at that, pal. Have a great day. No, it's true, because uh, I, yeah. I think Aziz has a point that yep. there are some... You know, some, some bigger issues here about people who have served their time. Do we just, that's it? We're done with them? We don't report on them again until maybe at some point they, they commit a crime? And what about the system? Does the system view Carla Homolka as, as a threat still? Because if they do, and then I, th I think there's an obligation to warn people about her as, th as they do in other cases. And if they don't, they, they should come out and say so. And frankly, for that matter, maybe Carla or Leanne or whatever she's calling herself these days, maybe she should speak publicly.
say, look, and I understand there's been a lot of coverage about me and the fact that I'm living wherever, and obviously people know my history. I've changed. I'm a different person. I'm a mother. People might not believe it, but I don't know that she can just uh, go trying to fly under the radar here because it just makes it look maybe as though she's got something to hide. You know, they also might not care. Uh, We're going to take a pause right here at 974-8255 when we come back. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right, 974 8255. What to do, if anything, about Carla Homolka and people in this uh, Montreal neighborhood? Uh, very concerned, alarmed to learn that uh, they're, they're a neighbor with Carla Homolka and they weren't aware of that. So, back to, I mean, what, what, what would you feel if you learned that? 974 8255. This is Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. Go ahead. Gentlemen. Having children is a privilege, not a right, and the fact that this thing had kids is just disgusting. The lawyer who married her, that guy is creepy. This well, that's woman, a, it's not a lawyer. Woman doesn't deserve to, oh, sorry, the brother of the lawyer. Yeah. This woman, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't deserve to be breathing, and she doesn't deserve any privacy, any anonymity at all. Anytime she moves somewhere, I think she should be outed. And if it was my kids playing with her kids, I, I would not let my kids go over to her house. What about her kids? They haven't done See, anything. Thing, that they haven't done anything. So if I, you know, it's one of those things where I feel sorry for these kids that have a mother like that. You know, I mean, the thing that I want to, you know, is her poor kids. Her kids are going to have a rough life once they figure out, once they find out who mummy really is. I feel bad for her kids more right. than anything. Right. But what about in the meantime? That they need to go to school? They they need to, to make they, friends? They need to have normal lives, right? They have that right to a normal life. But, I mean, hey, would you want your kids going over to Carla Homolka's house? No, I probably wouldn't, to be honest. You know, I feel bad for the kids. I feel bad for her kids. She does not deserve to have them, and she doesn't even deserve to be breathing. I don't know if I'd want her coming over to my house to pick up my kids either. If the, Yeah, if, exactly. Yeah. Would you want... But, but would you Jeremy, want hang to, on a second, because your, your, your level of disgust for Carla Homolka, I think, is probably... Uh, uh, consistent and, and very understandable with a lot of how a lot of Canadians feel about the situation. But you said something interesting right off the bat that having children is a privilege and not a right. And I sort of wonder how that fits in to this context of this conversation that we're having here. How, how, what should the justice system do with women who kill? Should they be sterilized? Oh, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying she doesn't deserve to have kids. And some people think it's a right as far as I'm concerned. Having children is a, a wonderful privilege, not a right. Because it is one of like the few human rights that, that are kind of universally... I shouldn't say one of the few human rights, but it is a human right that's universally uh, lobbied for, the, uh, the uh, right to procreate. Oh, I know. I understand that. But she, this woman does not deserve to have kids after what she did to a couple of teenagers. Don't you agree? This woman does not deserve to be a mother. Well, you know what? If we want to get right into the nitty gritty on it, Jeremy, I would have snuffed her out a while ago. That's how I thought our justice system should have handled her and Paul Bernardo. Yeah, she shouldn't be. Uh, she should be still behind bars. Thanks. Uh, yeah, well, I took it a step further, but I appreciate the compassion, Jeremy. Take care. Thanks very much. Well, but that didn't happen, and, no. and that never was an option. And so, yeah, that, that's fine. I mean, it depends what you mean by deserve. If Jeremy's suggesting that the state should step in and, and seize her children or impose lifelong sanctions that she uh, shall never have children, I, 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 don't think that, I don't think we can do that. It's an interesting call. Uh, Brenda's on the phone. Brenda, you're an ex-Mountie. Uh, Good morning. Um, a concern that I have in regards to Carla Homolka, if she legally changed her name in the province of Quebec, that her, if she were to apply for a criminal records check, 
it wouldn't show that she has a previous criminal record because only in Alberta and British Columbia does an individual have to submit their fingerprints for a legal name change. So she would get a, a clear criminal records check. Oh, really? That's fascinating. So how, how does it, because this is a question that we were pondering during the commercial break, is how did it come to be that she lived in Guadalupe, that she was able to, to travel out of the country? Is that a situation where uh, Guadalupe doesn't have a problem letting Canadian criminals into the country, or that maybe she changed her name legally and then uh, all of a sudden uh, there was no need for a pardon? Uh, her new name had never done anything wrong. Potentially that she would have applied prior to leaving the country, or let me see, I'm just trying to think in regards to um, her leaving the country. She wouldn't be able to apply for a pardon. Right. I don't believe, and even if she well, applied for a vulnerable yeah. sector check, a vulnerable sector check is only for individuals who have been pardoned for a sexual offense would, would a flag come up and then they would have to that individual would have to be fingerprinted to confirm that they were not a pardoned sexual offender right interesting that, yeah, otherwise everything would come back well, as well, a Brenda, clear check if if i mean if it's that easy why, why don't all former inmates change their name if, if there's such a, an easy loophole to to run from your criminal past would, why wouldn't all criminals do that they certainly could it is their right hmm. all right brenda thanks very much for the uh, for the phone call carla hamalka did make news actually for for seeking a pardon uh, back in 2010-ish. I just know that, that it's, it, that's what's obscene or something else that's obscene about this story is that she was eligible to apply for pardon. And there was actually a, a political news story about it. The conservative government kind of scrambled to pass a bill that would prevent her from uh, applying for such a thing. Uh, hi, Lauren. Thanks for the call. Hey there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a proud Canadian, except on this day. I read this and heard about this, and I just don't get it. Um, our, our justice system, whatever you want to call it, um, our pardon system, whatever, and don't. She, she snuffed out three lives uh, willingly the whole nine yards. She said she was coerced. It was proven proven that she wasn't coerced. And uh, she's able to just go to another country in the Caribbean or wherever and change her name and have a... I'm with my wife with a husband and kids and all bits, and uh, I don't have I don't have any suggestions on what to do with the kids. I have suggestions on what to do with her, but they would they would kick me off the radio. So. <laughs> well, Lauren, here's here's the question though: Is it is it uh, are people uncomfortable? Do you feel living around Carla Homolka, given what she's done, or disgusted that she's uh, you know mixing in with society? Well, it's all of the above, I believe. I mean, she she she's been giving a, a chance. But like my, my original point, she's been given a chance at life. Whereas these, her sister included, these three girls, are, they will never have a chance at anything. And they, she's running around, and, and the, the sick, disgusting thing is, she's changed her name to a name that her and and Bernardo had had agreed on before this. Well, that, that's the teal. But I mean, as Rob's yeah. uncovered, that Bordelais might be her, her the the name that uh, that she's going with in this situation. So, yeah, good good points, uh, Lauren. Thanks very much for the here's, phone call. Here's the thing, though. She was they went to her for a reason, right? It's not as though she was able to convince a jury that she wasn't guilty of murder. The the state went to her to get her cooperation to get who they thought was the main driver behind these crimes, and they got Paul Bernardo. Now, maybe we learned later on, after the fact, that, that perhaps there would have been enough evidence, and, and the stuff that surfaced later on, maybe they wouldn't have needed 
Carla Homolka's cooperation. Maybe they didn't need to give her a deal. Um, but that's hindsight. And, you know, they had to think about how awful it would be if both of them would have escaped justice. They, they felt that they needed to do this to ensure that they got Paul Bernardo. So I, I think at some level we need to, to understand why they did that. How many times has that happened? You want to talk about just Canada? Go look up Sammy the Bull Gravano who hardly did any time in jail at all because he turned witness. He cooperated in, in the case against John Gotti. How many people did Sammy the Bull Gravano kill? Far more than Carla Homolka killed. Uh, and he's a free man. Uh, hi, Mary. Thanks for the call. Well, it's called vigilanteism. Mm-hmm. To forgive is divine, and I'm not religious. But you know what? Her kids do have a chance. They're living those kids have a chance to be part of life. And, you know, we cannot judge everybody. She did get Carl Bernardo or whatever his name is. And, you know, mm-hmm. she was a bad woman. That's entirely but true. maybe she has turned her life around. But I wouldn't want my kids going to her home. And, you know, and that's I think that's a consistent message, Mary, with a lot of people saying that that uh, um, it, it's it's entirely one thing that she's done her sentence, she's done her time, and she now lives in a community. That's one thing altogether. But the fact that members of that community would have these forced and protected interactions with her and her family uh, through the school system that puts a lot of people on edge. All right. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what comes of this now, because we're, we're in this weird period where I guess we don't have really official official confirmation that, that Carla Homolka is living in this neighborhood. We've got numerous media reports. We've now got uh, that very panicked populace in, in this area. And we've got a school board that's kind of vaguely addressed the, the matter, but uh, obviously it has, hasn't answered any of the questions. So what's going to come of all of this? And is Carla simply going to pack up and... And move somewhere else. And is this just going to keep happening in, in other neighborhoods, too? So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, this story is far from over. Uh, we're going to stand down now for the 1030 News. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about this uh, ongoing debate around public transit in Calgary. In a big meeting today at City Hall. We're going to hear from uh, Alan Hallman from the group Ready to Engage. Talk about the Southwest BRT project and talk about their petition that has apparently run into some, some problems. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. And welcome back. I'm Rob. That's Roger. If you love debates about public transit, then today is a different kind of 420 celebration for you, I suppose. Who doesn't love a good public transportation debate? Boy, there's just not enough of those. What with all the hockey on TV these days? Yeah, well, you know, we've been talking a lot about it lately, and in particular one project. But uh, there's a meeting today at, uh, at City Hall regarding... Uh, the future of public transit and maybe an opportunity to to ask some questions, learn a little bit more about some projects in particular. And that obviously includes the rather contentious uh, Southwest uh, BRT bus rapid transit zone. Yeah. Now, we've heard a lot about this. This is uh, an idea to have uh, a, a bus rapid transit zone on 14th Street, basically, uh, that would connect uh, the Southwest and the Deep Southwest uh, with the downtown core via Mount Royal University. And we would see uh, a quite a big shakeup on some of those roads like 14th Street, Southland Drive, 24th Street, uh, even uh, uh, Glenmore Trail to some extent. There's a wide variety of concerns. Uh, everything from parking problems in the community of Woodbine 
uh, to uh, the placement of certain bus stations, the introduction of non-market housing, and uh, people who feel that their property values might be diminished, uh, as well as the ballooning cost of this project, which is certainly not the least of the concerns of people who oppose it. Well, and uh, some questions being raised though, about the uh, petition uh, that, that uh, Ready to Engage has been uh, gathering signatures on, and the mayor says, in fact, that it's been a waste of everyone's time and money. All right, Alan Hallman joins us now as a spokesperson for Ready to Engage. Alan, welcome back to the program. Oh, thanks, gentlemen. Lovely to be here. All right, so uh, what's the itinerary for the day, first of all? Because I understand that you've been uh, gathering uh, supporters uh, of Ready to Engage, and in fact, the opponents uh, of you guys, who I guess would be um, uh, proponents of the project, iHeart, YYC Transit, have been gathering since 9.30 this morning. And what, is there uh, an official start to this rally later today? Yeah, so at 9.30, the uh, TNT committee gathered, and uh, the, the room was too small downstairs. So they've moved now the TNT transit and transportation meeting up into uh, city council. Uh, so that, that meeting has started. There's a pedestrian strategy they're discussing first, and then they're going to the uh, Southwest BRT for discussion. Uh, last time I looked, there was about 80 people on the page for uh, against the project. Although, you know, one thing I want to say up, up front, uh, guys, is that we're not against public transit. We're against ill-conceived um, pro programs that have been poorly planned that we believe is a mammoth waste of uh, taxpayers' money. What do you hope comes out of today? Well, boy, you guys are really well educated on your lead-in. Uh, you hit, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the important points. Uh, so, what we hear, what we want to uh, uh, accomplish today is, we believe council voted blind. Frankly, back in 2011, when this pa- when this motion passed in what's called an omnibus bill. And if you ask any legislator, if I want to hide something and sneak something through, a project through, how would I do it? They would all answer, do it through an omnibus motion. Because it's got uh, seven other projects in one motion, and they just pass it. There was never any debate on the floor of council, and that's what we would like to see, is we want to see this go back to council, properly debated, the people who are most affected along the line, we want them to be properly consulted, and we want proper and accurate budgeting. What were the other seven uh, uh, projects in the in the omnibus bill? Oh, gosh. I, uh, let me see if well, I got it handy. Uh, Ask yeah. me something else, because I'll look through my notes and, uh, and let you know, because well, I'm sure I've got it in my notes. Well, I want to know if they were other transit projects and if it made no, sense no, for them no, to, to, totally to discuss unrelated. them Totally, totally unrelated items. One, was, uh, one thing that I kind of giggle at every time I look at it is uh, um, city employee... Uh, uh, conduct. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I wonder if, do, do you feel like your group, has your group, uh, Alan, been able to distance itself from some of the bad publicity uh, that the mayor mentioned uh, about how some of these community engagement processes have gone? Because there are, are, are many people who perceive the ready to engage group as uh, simple NIMBYism. Yeah. And, I, and the mayor did a great job on branding us with that, right? So, what happened with a public meeting that, let, let's be clear, the City of Calgary put on, the City of Calgary distributed over 5,000 brochures to, uh, for a room that held about 150 people, and the city, um, that meeting was set up to fail right from the beginning because the city did not give any of the City of Calgary employees that were there, didn't give them any answers to the obvious questions that some of the concerned citizens were going to ask, like, 
where are people going to park? You were telling us that there's 12 million riders a year. That's 250,000 riders a week, and you're not putting in parking lots for them? Like, I mean, uh, that's asinine. How dumb do they think we are? What about the petition? Uh, we understand there were some 3,300 names gathered on the petition. The city said they had to exclude uh, 36% of them, which works out to about 1,200 names. And then the mayor says, look, I mean, it doesn't even ask council to do anything, so that the whole thing, he says, has been a, a waste of time and money. How, how do you respond? Well, I think it's a little rich for the mayor to be saying 3,500 concerned citizens from southwest Calgary signed a petition knowing full well exactly what it was. Um, and he says, well, it, it costs us money. When I'm down in City Hall right now debating probably one of the most contentious projects that has hit, this, that has hit Calgary in the last three or five or decade years, and our mayor is sitting jetting to Boston in business class with other staff members with him to speak at a conference in Boston. And he thinks that because it took a little bit of Barb Clifford's time to go through it, that wasn't the point of the petition. The point of the petition was to let them know there is thousands of people out here that do not believe they've been consulted properly on this project. Throw it back to council where we can have the first debate on this. Okay, on the what, floor what, of council. what about the rejected signatures? Though? The, the, the city's saying there were a bunch of people living out there, didn't even live in Calgary that signed this petition. Yeah, you know, that... Uh, I, I don't know how those happen. I mean, we, we had the petition at uh, public public meetings, and people came and signed the petition, right? I mean, the, the way we did our petition was we did it with very tight rules. We put it through the MGA, the Municipal Government Act. And, and so there's very tight rules around that. I mean, if you don't have your postal code down, for instance, they throw it out. If they can't, if they can't uh, read your name, right? Somebody writes fast or writes instead of prints, they throw it out. So, I mean, I wasn't fussed one iota uh, about the petition. It was just, uh, I, I was just gobsmacked that the mayor would take another shot at ready to engage. I mean, going back to that meeting, you recall, where, where he suggested something nefarious went on, the mayor wasn't at that meeting. I was at that meeting. Hundreds of other Calgarians were at that meeting. And he, a political leader in our city, sick the police on us. And there was a two-week investigation, and the cops come back, and I'm sure they weren't happy about having to do that because they got other things to do, gangs, senior break-ins. Well, yeah, let's let's not get into this because I think that the police uh, uh, investigate uh, crimes where allegations are. I don't think that they prioritize uh, uh, certain problems. It'd be pretty rich for the cops to go up to an individual and say, appreciate that you feel you've been wrong, but we've got better things to do. So, uh, But back to the point here, Alan, I mean, if you say that you're not opposed to uh, transit projects in general in this city, what are your alternatives to this BRT? I just want to go back to that for a second, Roger, if I may. When the police came back and said there was nothing untoward that happened here, the mayor reaccused us and said the police and the judicial system's bar is not high enough. Well, you should sue I mean, them. come on. You should sue the city then, Alan. Well, we may. Okay, so not not the city, but we but we may sue the mayor. Okay. We have a legal committee. We've got an engineering committee. We've got a government relations committee. We've got all kinds of committees, and it's a very professional group. They're not a bunch of thugs. Okay, as the mayor wants to portray us. Go back to the the question though about other transportation sure. projects, because I mean, look, if if you're not just anti-transit, yeah. if you're pro-transit, yeah. you're just anti this project. What are the solutions? 
Right. No, fair enough. I don't know what the solutions are. I think that's up to the city to put the solutions forward. We do have uh, have ideas, but because we haven't been engaged, we haven't been consulted, we haven't been able to put those ideas forward. Um, but I mean, we're not anti-transit. You know, I mean, that everybody wants to get cars off the road because um, I want to get downtown quicker with my car. Uh, we've we've been hearing about an escalating price tag on this project. We had Diane Collier-Cart on this program the other day, and she's very concerned about this. Uh, what do you make of that? Does, it, does that vindicate uh, some of what your group's been saying about this project? You know, we don't want to be vindicated, right? I mean, it, it certainly does, right? The mayor, I mean, so this was passed an omnibus motion five years ago, and then the mayor puts out a statement uh, Friday at 4.30, which is, you know, if you want to hide something, that's again what you did. The only thing you missed was it wasn't a long weekend. Uh, we've, got, we've got lots of ideas, but we just want to be engaged, uh, Rob. Alan, one last question for me. Um, does your group have any opposition to the proposed redevelopment of Glenmore Landing? Well, we, again, we haven't seen it, right? So Pincott and Collier Car passed a motion, or they first and seconded the motion, um, that there would be a very large uh, redevelopment at Glomer Landing by Rio Can. Um, you know, we haven't seen it, Roger, but uh, one thing that kind of sticks in my craw on that project is city said, okay, Rio Can, you're the only one that can buy that 5.4 acres that are, that's to the south and the east of Glenmore Landing. Right? I mean, why would we sole source something out? And what kind of, what kind of a deal are we going to get from Real Cam when they're the only ones that can buy it? I mean, well, you know, who conditions. would do that? And let me go back to one more thing, if I may. Sure. And that is, this was passed five years ago, right? Who, what household would ever make a decision five years in the past, and then when that five years came, not look at present circumstances? Since that time, we've negotiated successfully the Southwest Ring Road, we have gone to four-car LRT versus three-car LRT. And by the way, Mr. Nenshi, oil's not at 150 bucks anymore. It's at 40 But they're not even looking at it. They passed it in 2011 and go, great, it was passed in. Here's a shovel-ready uh, project. And it wasn't shovel-ready. All right. and Would Alan, your household do that, Rob? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. Now, so is no. your group holding a rally today with the noon hour? Is that right? Yeah, we're having... Um, we're having a big rally out at uh, City Hall today. We've got uh, a couple of speakers, but uh, not many. We don't want to bore the folks with this. I think they've heard enough about it. But we've got face painting, and we've got tattoos, and we've got balloons that say ballooning budget, which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> uh, helium, uh, lots of fun activities for the kids. So come on down. Uh, we need your support. Okay. Yeah. Sounds fun. Thanks a lot, Thanks Alan. Thanks for the time, guys. Yeah, take care. That's uh, Alan Hallman, spokesperson for uh, Ready to Engage. The tattoos, I like that. <laughs> Going all out. I don't know what the tattoos say. <laughs> we'll take we'll take a pause here. So you've heard from Alan Holman and your phone calls, your text messages as well. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk seven seventy. Hey nine seven four eight two five five. If you want to be part of the show, talk about this uh, rally down at City Hall today. Stephen has called in. Hi, Stephen. Go ahead. Hey. Yes. Um, something I'm as you guys been raising and. Uh, you said it's uh, ready to engage. Yes. It almost seems actually even outside of them that either the mayor or the council is, when someone's speaking loud and passionately about something, uh, it almost seems that when they begin to butt heads, they run from the conflict. You know, they don't maybe step and take an opportunity to engage in conversation. This is what you guys do, right? 
you guys open the door to allow some dialogue and conversation. And this has been going on for some time now. So instead of battling and having a war against each other, take a few minutes and have a meeting, hear them out, uh, find out what kind of ideas or even information that they um, want to have done. And that seems to be the most, um, you know, yeah, I, I hear what you're Positive saying, approach, Stephen. Yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely, Stephen. And, and thanks very much for the phone call. Now, I, I think that there's a problem here, though, in that you have these committees, and you have like the the you know you have the transportation committee, for example, um, that put all the the legwork into this and come up with way, what they believe are good ideas, and then they put them before council, and council says we think is the best idea, only to have a community group undo that five years later. I, I sense that that could be a pretty frustrating thing from the perspective of somebody like the mayor. However, my response to that frustration is too bad, so sad. <laughs> you know, the buck stops here. We're the ones who are floating the boat on this project, and uh, the times they've changed. Uh, look, I think on this project, the Southwest BRT, there are legitimate questions. I think the parking one is, is legitimate. Obviously, the, now the issue with the cost and why the costs are escalating and how much of a priority this one should be now, given that. But I, I think to some extent, I can understand the city's position. If the city's already made a decision that, that you know, something's needed and we're going to go ahead and do it, and if there's a, a group or individuals who are opposed to that thing happening, you, you're just going in circles. So you can hear what their concerns are, but if you already decide, look, we're going to do this, so let's talk to people who say we shouldn't do this, well, what are you accomplishing? Do you feel like this is an exception, though? Because my my, my stance, and, and I actually believe Alan Hallman when he says that, you know, their group isn't opposed to transportation projects, just ill-conceived ones. And that's what they claim this one is. I don't know that this is ill-conceived. I, I imagine when it was conceived, it wasn't ill at all. But, I mean, the, the reality is that things have changed quite dramatically, particularly in that quadrant of the city. And the two things that stand out to me as a resident, they're a longtime resident of the Southwest, is that you've got this infrastructure that is unmovable, the LRT, and we're investing more in the LRT. I think we should invest uh, more around it and put in infrastructure that people that, that, that can convince people to use this transit line. And the second thing is the ring road is going to go in there, and it seems a shame to me that taxpayers would spend so much money on that project and not have an integrated transportation project. I would, I would rather see them take this $66 million or whatever it's going to be and slide it over to to the ring road and say, look, here's here's what is would that be like nine percent of that budget, and say let's figure out a way that we can get people moving on a bus uh, on a BRT zone through there. Yeah, well, that would make sense. So let's squeeze in another call here. We got uh, Loretta on the line. Hi, Loretta. Hi there. Hi there. I just wanted to mention that I think bigger picture, the the problem that we're facing is that the mayor gets something in his head and he slams that idea down people's throats, including this whole business that went on with the police or didn't go on, and I wasn't there, I can't say, but there's many instances besides this one where he just wants his agenda met. What's his agenda? Well, he's got many different ones. One is this item, one is secondary suites. Have you ever investigated that? Uh, How he gets those done? I don't think think we're really getting those done. That's the problem. No, we are. There was 26 on the agenda last Yeah, Monday. well, I mean, city council has to go through and approve each one individually. I think the mayor's agenda, and it was shared by others, was to legalize secondary suites to not have to go through this process, and he's failed to do that. Well, that's one aspect, but there's um, when people have pushback in their community, he still pushes it through. 
Well, he, he no, he doesn't push it through. He votes as he sees fit. Yeah, but yeah, he's, one, he's not, one vote. That's that's only one vote. Yeah. He's only one vote. But let's not kid ourselves on some of the quid pro quo and the different uh, deals that go on, et cetera. So if you actually look at how they manage things, it's not. Well, you, could you give evidence of that? Because that's been a, a longtime claim of of Nenshi, but it's also been a a longtime claim of uh, his predecessor, Mayor Dave Bronconia, that he that he said, hey, all you need is eight votes, and uh, that he could whip uh, his council to do as he pleased. I can absolutely get, give you evidence. Um, if you look at the actual 26 uh, that were put before council last week, um, you look at things that should be sort of a report card, if you will, of did they talk to the neighbors on either side? Right. You know, were, was there pushback? Were there neighbors in attendance that you know, didn't want it? Those kinds of things. And there's no waiting given. There's some that had two neighbors in attendance, and it was agreed upon, some that didn't, um, some that had 10 neighbors in att- send letters in. And the bottom line is, there was, it, it was hard to see any rational consideration, and the vote swaying one way and the other. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that, Loretta, because we're out of time, but I appreciate the phone call. Yeah, I mean, clearly, Nenshi likes to... to- to get in, in, in these debates and, uh, you know, some people seem to get under his skin more than others and uh, he's clearly got an issue with these ready-to-engage folks, no doubt about it. But we got to take a break here, though. We are back with more right after this. Roger Kincaid and Rob Breckenridge, weekdays starting at 9.30 a.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary.